We're going to look at three things about Jesus here that God is authenticating Him as His Messiah and His minister here. And He is authenticating Jesus, first of all, as the active minister. He's authenticating Him as the attentive shepherd. And He's authenticating Him as an affirming leader. Three things that we're going to look at here in this passage today. He's an active minister. Then you go, well, aren't all ministers active? No, they're not. I can tell you right now, they're not. And we're going to see what that looks like. And, and Jesus says, remember, what are the three building blocks for discipleship? Community, the Word, the Scriptures, and wanting to be like Jesus with a burning passion. Wanting to be like the Master. That were the building blocks for discipleship. So as we look at this today, this is not only revealing Him as Messiah, it's revealing how we should live as His disciples. And so, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. He practically wiped out disease and sickness in Palestine. That's what that says right there. He went, it says He healed every disease and every affliction in, in the villages He went to. Why? He was authenticating who He was. It goes on to say, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, that's the thing about Jesus. You see a lot of fake healers on TV. Send your money, I'll heal you. Send your money, I'll send you a prayer blanket and it'll heal you. Send your money, I'll send you the special vial of anointing oil and you can rub it on you and it'll make all your ailments go away. Jesus didn't heal like that. The disciples didn't heal like that. The, the one, there was one time in Scripture that, that I saw that the disciples didn't heal somebody. And it's when they came down from the mountain and it was a teaching point to them. Jesus said this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. It means the intensity of the prayer was not there, guys. You, because they had healed. The, you know, they had healed before. When Jesus sends them out here, it says they healed every disease. Every place they went. Remember, they came back celebrating. They're going, man, we were casting out demons and we were doing all this stuff. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that you're doing all that stuff. Rejoice that your name's in the book of life. In other words, don't lose perspective. Don't lose perspective. Just because I'm using you, don't, don't get caught up. And that happens so much. I see it with a lot of shepherds, a lot of pastors. They get caught up in the fact that God's using them and they start believing their own press reports. And they start taking glory for themselves that should be going to God. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. But let's look at this. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Over 3 million people in that area up there. 200 villages in that area. And Jesus went... The way it worked back then is the synagogues were the teaching place in the different cities and villages. 
The villages had synagogues that were, they would have a Moses seat, they would have a Torah closet, and, and the ruler of the synagogue would, would, when they would go in there two or three times a week, he would go over when people were in there and he would get the, the, the scriptures out, the Torah, which was the scrolls, because everybody didn't have a copy of the scriptures like we did. And when he would take it out, the people would actually start dancing. They would be so excited. They were going to hear the word of God. I mean, and I, again, I, I think I said this last week. We have so many copies of scriptures, we take it so for granted because we have it readily accessible. They didn't. They lived in a community around the synagogue. When they came in there, he brought it out. Many of them would kiss it. They valued it so much that they would kiss it. And so the, the ruler would pick somebody to read the Torah reading for that week. And somebody would teach and explain it. And that's what they would do. They would teach, they would read it, and they would explain it and have dialogue. It was very different from the way we do our church services in the sense of, yes, we have reading and explanation, hopefully, but, but there's not very much interaction with people out in the audience. Can you imagine somebody in the audience going, hey, I don't think that's right. What would happen? The deacons would come and escort you out of the church. We don't do it like that anymore. I kind of wish we would. I think it would be great if we could have some dialogue. You know? But, but that's the way they did it. And Jesus took advantage of, of um, a courtesy whenever there was a visiting rabbi, they would always let him come in and teach. So he went to every synagogue and he was t teaching and preaching. And there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is, let me give you an example that uh, Stephen Olford gave me. He said, you know, teaching is when you're sitting on the couch with your grandchild and you're saying, now listen, Johnny, you don't want to go out in the street because the cars are out in the street and they can hit you and, and then you won't be with, you know, granddaddy anymore. That's teaching. You're having a teaching moment. Preaching is you're standing out on the front porch and you see Johnny out near the road. Johnny, get away from the road! That's preaching. There's an urgency there. I don't know how much preaching we have today. There's a lot of teaching, not a lot of preaching. But the ministry of Jesus was an active ministry. He taught and He preached. His teaching was in the synagogues. That was to the people that were coming in there. That was teaching. But He was also proclaiming out in the streets. That I want you to think of it this way. Teaching is instruction and growth. Preaching is the proclamation. It's the kingdom. It's the gospel. It's the evangelism. He was doing both. And, and, and a lot of pastors and leaders today tend to gravitate toward one or the other. They don't, they don't seem to incorporate both into their ministry. They're either teachers and they focus on the church and the people in the church and they don't get outside that. Or they're outside and all their focus is outside. And it's a both. That's what we try to do here at SWAT. We try to have this, right? And, and we try to do things that make you think outside of here. And, and engaging people out in the community. Out in other parts of the world. And so, active minister. He was an active minister. And not only did he teach and preach, he was healing. Now, healing served two purposes. The first one was to authenticate him because the Pharisees were saying, this guy's a lunatic. You know, he's teaching like a crazy... Because remember, he taught up on the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching crazy. And so what does he do? He does the miracles to authenticate who he is. But the other reason that he uh, healed people was he showed that he cared. He showed that he cared. 
And why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why. And I I, I say this not trying to bring attention to myself because miss, you know, I, I think I shared with you guys early on, it has not been easy visiting Miss Felicia's husband because he's dying. And when I first started visiting, I had no relationship with him. I just met him twice, talked to him twice. And when you talk to somebody who's dying who doesn't have, they don't have their legs because they've been amputated and they're confined to a bed, that's not a very fun, positive situation to walk into. And, and, and when you don't know people, listen, I've walked into a room sometime, one time a long time ago, a guy asked me to go visit his friend who was dying from cancer. And I walked into there and his friend told me to get out of the room. And, and it was very awkward. He just said he didn't want to hear any of the God stuff, didn't want me to be there. And it was just like, so I, I, I never know what kind of reception I'm going to get. So I went into that with, with her husband and over time, a relationship was built. But every time is still hard because he has dementia. And to talk to somebody with dementia, one minute he's with you and the next minute he's not. And, and it's just difficult. And some people don't handle that very well. I mean, some of the nurses that are there, some of the uh, even friends that are there, because they get frustrated because he can't, but he can't help it. And I think he still is aware of what's going on. I think he's frustrated. But what happened the other night at the, uh, the Nutcracker is one of the ministers, one of the ministers uh, wanted to go out and pray. And Miss Felicia said, no, I want him to go out and he's going to speak. And she basically rebuffed this other minister because nobody from there had ever gone to see him. They've not been to see him once since he's been in hospice. Now, the value of caring gives you moral authority to speak into people's lives. And, and what happens is it, gives, it, it shows that you're not just about you, you're about going and you care about people. And I mean, we've all heard that phrase, you know, nobody cares how much you know until they, you know, they see how much you care, right? That, but, but Jesus cared for people. The Pharisees did not care for people. And unfortunately, because we, we talked about this last week, a lot of leaders, a lot of shepherds have buffers and, and they come across because of their many responsibilities like they don't care. I think if you really talk to them, they would say they do care. But what is communicated is they don't. Jesus was the most important human being on the planet ever. Nobody was more important than him. Nobody had more responsibility than him. And yet, he walked among the people and when even children were brought to him and his disciples tried to rebuff them, he said, let them come. Let them come. Let them come. He cared. Guys, that is such a big part of what it means to minister to people. Caring. And, and, and we sometimes get so involved in our own struggles that we don't care about other people. And as a believer, he says, he's, a, he's the model. When he's on the cross, who is he? It, he has already been filleted by the Romans. He has already been beaten so badly and he's got spikes in his hands, spikes in his 
feet and he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. Woman, behold your son. Even in the, the, the height of his agony, he's thinking about other people. And that's our model. If we really want to be like him, when we realize that we're not, what should that do? It should drive us back to the cross to say, Father, forgive me. I was not caring today. I cared more about myself than I did others. That's what it means to be an active minister. We should be teachers. We should be preachers proclaiming the kingdom. And we should be people who are caring for people. Well, not only was his ministry active, was he an active minister, he was an attentive shepherd. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That word there means he, it, it means literally from the bowels of his body. In the, in the Hebrew, it was the bowels. You know, we would say, I love you with all my heart. They would say, I love you with all my bowels. It's the core of the being. It, it's like, it, it's, it's, um, it's like uh, when I met my friend's wife and told her at the airport that he wasn't going to make it, she had to go throw up because she was so moved from her bowels. Have you ever had uh, somebody tell you something and it makes you nauseous? It, it affects you that deeply? That's what he's saying. He saw the crowds and he was moved, it says, because they were harassed. That word means flayed, skinned. He saw people that were not taken care of. And they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who's Matthew writing to? Jewish people. Jewish people would know the Old Testament. They would know Jeremiah 23. Let me read to you Jeremiah 23. When Jesus says, "Without a sheep without a shepherd, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. That's a messianic prophecy back in Jeremiah when he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He is referencing. Okay, also over in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, say to them, who's Son of man again? Messiah, right? Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the flat, fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought with force and harshness you have ruled them. Does that sound like people you want leading you? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered everywhere. Jesus, guys, is calling to their mind, the readers of this, 
that the people who are over you, they don't care about you. They only care about themselves. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think we're reaching this point in America with shepherds, with pastors. I think we've reached this point. The shepherd, I've, there are even books out now that say that the shepherd analogy doesn't apply to American culture because we don't have shepherds. And they're saying that the shepherd, we are more of a CEO model. <clears throat> they even called Jesus their CEO. Jesus was not a CEO. He was a shepherd. Do you know that Jesus could have picked any time in the whole history of the world to come and appear? He could have appeared in our time and He didn't choose to come now. He chose to come at a time when He did. And throughout the Bible, shepherding has always been the analogy that God has used for His leaders. And do you know why? I, 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 talk, I told you guys, I talked to a shepherd when I was over in Israel this past trip. And I asked him about shepherds. A shepherd can take the back of their hand and feel the back of the sheep's neck. And they know each individual sheep. And it doesn't matter if they have 50 or if they have 850. They know them all by name. When they get their sheep together, they can call their sheep and their sheep will respond to their voice, not another shepherd's voice. But the thing is, they will not entrust their sheep to anybody that is not willing to lay their life down for their sheep. Even their own children. One guy was saying that, that his child does not have the heart of a shepherd because he doesn't have a heart for loving the sheep. So he will not turn over his flock to his son. And I tell you that we've, we've, we've come to a place, I think, in America where a lot, not everyone, this is not saying everyone, but a lot of shepherds do not have the heart to lay down their life for the sheep. They'll teach them. They see themselves as communicators. They see themselves as CEOs and managers. But they don't have the heart of a shepherd. In, 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 in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Guys, we, if we want to be His disciples, we, do we have responsibilities to shepherd? Yes. You have a family. You have kids. You have grandkids. You have a responsibility to shepherd them. Do, do, do you, do you think about this. If you're a business owner, you have people that you're responsible for, you shepherd them. You should think about how you shepherd. Think about how you lead. Think about our master. Think about our leader. He was compassionate. He noticed what was going on. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Not only was he an active minister and attentive shepherd, but he was an affirming leader. Who did he have with him? He had a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector, a guy that wanted to kill Romans, Simon the Zealot. He had, he had a bunch of nobodies. And he says, hey, you guys need to pray for laborers because I'm limited to this one human body right now. I can't do it all myself. Not by, uh, not by design, by choice. I mean, in other words, what he's saying is, 
like I need more laborers. I'm passing this torch on to you. I'm not going to be here forever. And so he picks this unlikely crew and he affirms them because he tells them to pray and then calls them to be the answer to their own prayer. But he tells them to pray first. You know why? Because you can't be somebody who shepherds other people, who ministers to other people, unless God is moving in you. It's a spiritual thing. Prayer is the foundation for everything we do. And, and when I teach people about evangelism, I use Colossians 4, 2, 6, where Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's in prison. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer, praying that God... Pray for me. Now this is Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, saying, please pray for me. <clears throat> what? Pray that I'll get out of prison? No, pray that I will be a witness to the jailers here. Pray that I'll be a that God will open a door for me to share with these people here. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. That's the caring part. We pray, we care, and then he says in verse 6, knowing how you should respond to each person. See, the problem with the way we share the gospel is we put it into a nice little booklet and it doesn't take into account the people that it, we're dealing with. All it is, it's a little sterile. It's almost like selling insurance. Sorry if there's any insurance salesman in here. But it's, it's our selling a car. It's like, okay, when, when a guy comes up to you on a car lot and says, hey, I want to help you, do you think he wants to help you? Or do you think he wants to put money in his pocket? The problem is for a lot of people who are not following Jesus is when people come with the gospel to them, they don't think they really care about them. They think they're doing something out of religious obligation. Jesus says, pray. Pray that God would raise up laborers. And then He commissions these guys. But here's what's interesting. When He talks about the harvest there, when we think about the harvest, we think about John chapter 4, the fields are white with harvest. I don't think that's what He's talking about here. Let me read Joel 3 to you real quick. <clears throat> In Joel chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, the prophet Joel is talking about the fields. And listen to what he says. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's a harvest. There's multitudes. And I think Jesus is again referring back here. And what is it? It's a judgment. That's the day of the Lord is not. It's not a good day. If you go look at the Old Testament, anytime the day of the Lord's mentioned, that's the day of judgment. And it makes me think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing what's going to happen to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing that people are going to be cast into eternal darkness and be away from God forever and ever. That's what motivates me to pray. That's what motivates me to have compassion. 
That's what motivates me to want to pray and care and share for people. There's going to be a harvest. And, and, and remember, even in Matthew 13, we're going to look at that in the spring. When Jesus says, oh, there's, there's weeds, Satan has planted weeds over here, and there's wheat over here. There's, you know, there's chaff and there's wheat. And people are like, should we tear, tear it out? No, let it grow until what? The harvest. And at the harvest, there's going to be a gathering of the wheat that will go into the barns but the chaff will go into the fire. That should motivate us, guys. When we walk around, it's not just about us. As we go into Christmas, this is a great time of year to have spiritual conversations with people. So pray that God would give you opportunities to be an active minister, to be an attentive shepherd, and to be an affirming leader as you meet with people and talk with people. Because remember, our goal is not simply to share the Gospel with people. Our goal as disciples is to be disciple-making disciple-makers. In other words, we're to make disciples that are going to make disciples. And far too, too long in the church we've not done that. The church, the church sees its role as simply to get people to come in, listen to a message, and leave. But we are called to make disciple makers. And that's why we're going through this Every Man a Warrior together. That book does nothing but give us a, 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 a launching pad for conversation for us making disciples that we're going to be committed to making disciples that will make disciples. Because I tell you, Jeb and all the kids in his generation are going to have a very, very tough time because we have failed here to do that. When I go to India and I see these people like Dawa, who's, who's personally discipled like 300 people over the last 10 or 15 years, I'm ashamed. I, I'm so convicted because I, I, I go, I, I, I had the Gospel before he did. I did. I had the Gospel in my life before he did. And, and, and I've squandered my time and I don't want to do it anymore. And that's why we do what we do here. And so I pray that when you leave, that you won't leave uh, ashamed. We don't need to be ashamed. We need to be convicted though. And we need to say, God, show me how you want me to do this. And I trust you. If you ask Him that, He'll do that. Won't He, Jim? That's, a prayer. that's the prayer He wants to answer. Pray that He would raise up laborers for the harvest.